Well, last week, we talked about making sure that, that our hearts were where they were supposed to be because of these evil days in which we're living. And you know, this week, as I thought about that, I started reminiscing about, about my dad. Because if you knew, if you knew Dan Schaefer, you knew that he was passionate about winning the lost. His mission in life was reaching people for God. Well, that sounds like someone else uh, because Jesus, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus said, The reason I came, the reason I left the splendors and the grandeur of heaven and came to this earth was so that I could connect people. People just like you. People just like me with my heavenly father well and jesus further illustrates his mission in matthew chapter 9 verse number 12 when he said those who are well have no need of a doctor i guess unless they're a hypochondriac but uh hopefully most of us most of us aren't that but those who are well don't need medical attention only those who are sick jesus said for i didn't call come to call the righteous but i came to call sinners to repentance now, his statements, they, they were in response to the Pharisees who were, who were questioning his association with some, some um, questionable, questionable people. And Jesus was telling them, I didn't come to coddle insiders, and I'm not going to spend my time playing footsies with those who think they are religiously superior. I came so that outsiders may become insiders by the grace and mercy of my Father who is in heaven. And so my first question for us today is, did Jesus come and suffer and shed his blood to protect a certain way of doing church, or did he come to seek and save lost people? And so if the answer is that Jesus came to save lost people, and then I am supposed to strive to be like him, why aren't I doing the same thing. I bet you really wish you'd have got that invitation now, don't you? <laughs> I knew I should have stayed home today. But you know, when you think about it, most churches don't hire pastors to reach lost people. They hire pastors because they want a chaplain. They want a shepherd that's going to protect them from the big bad wolf because most church people want a nice, clean separation between the church and this old, mean, ugly, sinful world. They want a preacher who's going to stand up for what's right. They want a preacher who's going to preach against sex, drugs, and rock and roll and draw a line against all those old sinners. And that's okay. We should obviously preach against right and wrongs that are spelled out in the Word of God. But what we don't preach about very much is the church's ineffectiveness of engaging our current culture and winning them to the Lord. I mean, I can preach against abortion. I can give you Scripture. Every Sunday morning I can get up here and I can preach against homosexuality, addiction, fornication, lying, gossiping, slander. I can also preach about being blessed, being healed. And most of you will say amen. Yeah. 
Well, except to the gossip sermon, you'll be pretty quiet from my experience with you guys. Be pretty quiet when I, when I hit on that one. Kind of a nerve with all of us, I think. But is that all there is to it? I mean, of course, of course, there is a shepherding side of pastoring that focuses on the sheep. I understand that. But the other side is that we need to follow the lead of Jesus and strive to reach lost people and see those big bad wolves become sheep by God's grace. Acts chapter 1, 8 says, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You see, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the early church was internally focused. But then all of a sudden, when the Spirit came upon them, their eyes were opened up to a world around them that was desperately in need of what they had experienced. And likewise, the reason the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us today is to turn us inside out and give us power to witness to the lost in our neighborhood, our part of town, Oklahoma City, the United States, the world. But sadly, you know what God sent to the church to turn us inside out well, has actually caused us to become inside in. Here's what I'm talking about. When people began to experience this New Testament re revival back in the early 1900s at Azusa Street, well, there were those in mainline churches that laughed, ridiculed, and made fun of us Pentecostals. And so because of that, ever since, the Pentecostal church has taken a defensive posture to try to fit in with the herd. Then to make matters worse, people within our own ranks have abused this power of the Holy Spirit to try to, to help themselves. And we became even more withdrawn from the skepticism. So this has caused us to keep the Holy Ghost within the walls of our church in a defensive posture because we were embarrassed to be holy rollers. Now, it was okay if, if we were holy rollers because we were on a bowling team. Good name for a bowling team. But you see, we didn't like being called that in the boardroom. Or at the coffee shop at work. I mean, we used to even have that old hymn. Hold the fort, for I am coming. And so we had this mental picture that we were building this fort around us to keep the evil world out and us good people inside the fort to keep us sanctified. And if we'll just hold on until Jesus comes, we're going to be all right. Ladies and gentlemen, I do not believe that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. I do not believe that's why he sent us the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't believe Jesus came and died and shed his blood so that we could simply maintain a certain way of church that it makes you and me comfortable. Jesus didn't die to protect the Pentecostal tradition or the Baptist tradition or the Methodist tradition or anyone else's tradition. Jesus came to this earth. He died to save lost people. 
but yet we hold on to our sacred cows. And what's interesting is many times what we believe and fight over isn't even biblical. It's cultural. And it's something that's been handed down from us from generation to generation, but we accept it as truth. You know, when I was a kid, the metric of the success of a good service was how long the service lasted. If God showed up and messed up the program and service ran longer than it was supposed to, everybody walked out talking about how good church was. Matter of fact, if the preacher didn't even get to his sermon, that was the pinnacle because then they say, God really moved today, and the preacher didn't even get to preach. Hallelujah. Praise God. And if someone shouted and danced, it was because the people thought the more chaotic the service was, the more God had showed up. But then when we didn't have preaching, I mean, when we did have preaching, even when, when the pastor did get to minister, it didn't matter how good the message was because if the pastor didn't spit on the first three rows and jump up and down and holler when he preached, he wasn't anointed of God. Man, he ain't worth listening to. He's not horse yet. You see, because the anointing wasn't based on what he said, it was based on how he said it. And so our culture conditioned us to think the anointing was in a delivery style and not in the substance of what the Holy Spirit had given the speaker to say. I mean, back then we would say, if the guy stopped to take his breath, oh man, he's lost the anointing. <laughs> Might as well go home. You see, the more of a carnival we had, the more we felt like God had showed up. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Put your phones down. Quit playing your game. Turn your hearing aids up. I want you to hear this. If you hear nothing else, I'm saying. Because some of you will hear what I just said, and you'll go out here and say, I'm trying to quench the Spirit. Not on your life. No one. No one loves a more lively service than I do. The Holy Ghost is welcome in this place. Wana can dance all she wants to. Starla can dance all she wants to. And if you feel like taking off and running, help yourself. If you feel like shouting and praise the Lord, let it loose. This has always been a Holy Ghost church, and it will remain a Holy Ghost church. He is welcome here in any way, shape, or form. He wants to show up. you get that? Okay, well, if you don't want to listen anymore, you can go back to what you're doing. But I don't want anybody leaving this building saying he's trying to quench the spirit and saying we're too rowdy. Absolutely not. I'm trying to make a point. And I learned a long time ago that commotion does not always mean anointing. But then on the other hand, when the commotion is anointed, it should not end when we walk out of these doors. But now, now the pendulum has swung so far the other way that even in our so-called Pentecostal churches, if the Holy Ghost does decide to show up, he has to fill out a visitor's card to be recognized. We're in such a hurry in our fast-paced life that God has to move in 55 minutes or he ain't going to get the chance. And so I wonder... I wonder how much of what we hold dear to in the church has been handed down to us from the last generation, but it wasn't necessarily biblical. It was more cultural. 
And so my next question for us today is, Lord, how can we turn church away from being about us to being about those who you came to seek and to save? And the reason why that question is so vitally important is because when we actually stop and think about why Jesus came, it's going to ultimately affect what we think our role as a Christian is and what we think the purpose of the church ought to be. You see, because at the end of the day, the only metric of success I see in the Scripture is this. Heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to salvation. That is a biblical measure of success. Now, I, th I think in our heads we get that intellectually. At least we say we do. We say it from the teeth out. We understand that Jesus came to seek and to save lost people. But you see, what I'm begging God to do is to get out of our head and get it down into our heart so we will begin to filter everything we do for the kingdom with our time, our talent, and our treasure to effectively engage people outside of these four walls to come and know Jesus Christ in a more intimate and relevant way. And while everyone or most everyone will say, sure, Mike, hey, we're all in for reaching lost people. Great idea. Until the first time you touch their sacred cow, that's not effectively teach, reaching lost people. And now all of a sudden they're less concerned about reaching the lost and more concerned about guarding the way that they do church that makes them feel comfortable. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to get our hearts so in tune with God's heart that our habit, my way of doing church is less important. And the mission of God, which is seeking and saving those who are lost, is the most important thing that we do. I mean, the metric of success of our church should not be that our bills are being paid. Amen. The metric of the success of our church shouldn't be that we are just growing by trading sheep with other flocks. Now, you know, it's fine when other people come, and we love them and we see them because, you know, most of the time they're disciplined, they know how to give, and so they're not too messy. That's nice. But I want you to know another measure of success is when we do what Jesus did, and we seek and save those who are unchurched, and they get their lives changed, and now a life that has no hope and no future is radically transformed because lost people are exposed to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm convinced that if Jesus can turn my heart inside out and he can turn your heart inside out, this church will be a place that engages unchurched people because we are passionate about reaching the lost for the cause of Christ. Now, someone may be here and they'd say, but Mike, I mean, I thought we were reaching the lost. Aren't we one of the largest missions-giving churches? Yes, we are. Thank you for bringing that up. We're the fifth largest missions-giving Assembly of God church to the continent of Africa in America. 
And so we're constantly fulfilling the great commission of Christ by winning lost overseas. And we thank God. We praise God for what he's allowed us and called us to do. But sometimes, sometimes I wonder if we don't try to alleviate our responsibility to what we're supposed to do for Christ in our city by sending it to someone else and letting them do it. Listen, being a missions church is not an excuse for not being a missional church. A missional church is one that reaches the lost in our own city, in our own neighborhoods. So that means that our local and our overseas outreach should go hand in hand. Our goal is for us to be a missions church that gives from our heart to the world in order to win the lost, but then to let that same heart be motivated by the Holy Spirit so that it causes us to live the life of Christ in a selfless way to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers in order to impact people's lives that we come in contact with every day. I can imagine... I can imagine the Lord dealing with somebody to have a neighborhood party. It's spring, the kids are playing outside, and they think, you know, you know it'd be a witnessing tool. The Lord laid something on their heart. But they're nervous because if they invite their unchurched neighbors over for a party, who knows what they'll bring? We'd all, we all might start feeling better with some miracle metal marijuana. <laughs> and then you, 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 you up, upright church attender is going to be accused of throwing a wild, crazy party. And then you're going to have those out there say, I thought you were a Christian. What would they say about that? Listen, folks, why, do, why are we so surprised when sinners act like sinners? Don't get mad when sinners act like heathens. Let unsaved people act like unsaved people. That's all they know what to do. That's why they need us. Jesus was ridiculed by the religious establishment for having questionable affiliations. He hung out with tax collectors, prostitutes, and drunks. And if so-called Christians wonder why you're hanging around, quote, unquote, those kind of people, tell them you're just doing what Jesus did. WWJD. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to have the heartbeat of God, if we're going to do what Jesus did, we're going to have to get out of these four walls and establish relationships with those who are in the world. Now turn your hearing aids back up. I want you to hear this. Put your phone down. This is not a license because we do not do what they do we do not act like they act. We do not go where they go. But we must engage them so that we can be the light and the salt to this sin-cursed world and we can show them the way to Jesus. Now, don't answer this question, but I want you to think about this question. How many of us in this room have led someone to the Lord in the last 30 days. Last six months. Last year. Now notice I said us. 
because I'm not preaching at you because I have not personally led someone to the Lord one-on-one. So this sermon isn't meant to step on your toes. It's meant to step on our toes. Now, I had a little forewarning, so I I wore my steel-toed dress shoes. But it still hurts because it's the truth. And see, you know, like we all do, well, maybe you don't because you're perfect. But, you know, I always make excuses for my shortcomings. And and, and I cloak my shortcomings in the fact that, well, I, I reach people from the pulpit. I preach the word. But I want you to know the Lord let me know. In no uncertain turn, before I was ever called to preach, I was called to be a Christian. And as a Christian, I should be sharing with other people what my God has done in my life. We have the cure to what this world needs, and we need to share it with everyone we come in contact with. Someone else might say, but Mike, I don't know anyone who doesn't already go to church. And that may be true. Because the message I got when I got saved was to come out from among them and be separate. And so many Christians took that literally, and you don't have any unsafe people as friends. Now, of course, we don't do what unsafe people do, and so maybe you don't run around with any heathens. But I want you to know these heathens were created by God in his image, and they are lost and desperately in need of the grace that has so powerfully changed our lives. And so however you take it, Jesus didn't die so his church could build walls. He died so his church could build bridges. And we cannot build bridges if we're hiding behind these walls and we have a we for and no more mentality. I mean, even if you don't think you can witness, at least invite them to church and let the Holy Ghost and me get a chance at them. The Holy Ghost can do what you and I cannot do. There are all sorts of surveys bouncing around out there, and I heard of one that actually said that as many as 80% of unchurched people would respond positively to an invitation to attend church if it were given by a friend or a relative. Listen, there are people out there that you, that you have an inroad with that no one else has. And so may God touch our hearts to engage the loss that we come in contact with. Because, folks, I am convinced the local church is the hope of the world because it's a local church that captures the heart of God. But it cannot be about protecting our way of doing church. It can't even be about protecting our own rights in church. Having the heart of Christ is laying down our rights for the cause of other people that they might come to know Jesus. I mean, if you heard about a missionary who went to another part of the world and he had to change his methods, you wouldn't care. As long as the message didn't change, if he changed his methods in order to engage that culture where they live, we would be okay with that. Well, do you realize that the United States is the third largest unreached nation on this planet? 
Only India and China have more unsafe people in them than the United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave that was founded on godly principles. I mean, it's time we realize that everyone around us is not saved. And even though we live on the buckle of the Bible belt, we cannot assume everyone we run into is a Christian, and we need to start acting like missionaries in an unchurched culture and get out of our comfort zone and our fort and share the good news and make a difference in our neighborhoods, in our city, and in our nation. We need to do what God has called us to do. That means the church has to make a decision. Do we want to be a church that just maintains the status quo and guards the fort? Or do we want to be a church that gets out of the fort, that risks everything, and like the Apostle Paul, only stops short of sin in order to engage our culture for the cause of Jesus Christ? I want to be a church that has the heartbeat of God. And I know if we've been in church any time at all, we've all heard a passionate sermon about reaching the lost. And when we did, everyone either said, amen, or oh me. But when the sermon was over, we went back to our same old normal life and our normal way of doing church. I don't know much, but here's what I know. I wasn't a member of FAA, but I just surmised this. Sheep bear sheep. The shepherd doesn't bear sheep, and programs don't bear sheep. Coffee and donuts don't bear sheep. The type of music you play doesn't bear sheep. Sheep bear sheep. Friend, we, talking about you and me, need to engage those we come in contact with and compelled out of love for their lost and dying souls. We need to be in relationships with people to serve them and to point them to the cross. And what that means is the most important church we do all week may not be anything we do with inside these walls. It may mean that we need to think, we need to change the way we think about church until every one of us realize that we are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must become an army whose hearts have been turned inside out for the lost because time is short and we live in evil days. This sermon series that we're in is He Who Endures will be saved. So we're enduring, but what are we supposed to be doing while we're enduring? Scratching each other's back? I don't think so. Man, you guys got quiet. You know, it, it started out pretty good. You know, you're kind of, yeah, now it's kind of. What's he going to ask me to do now? When's the hammer going to drop? Every Sunday when we leave this place, we are walking into a mission field. And when we realize that, and when we act like that, the greatest God thing that may happen all week long may not happen on a Sunday. 
It may actually happen on a Monday through Saturday when we, the redeemed of Christ, realize that our ministry is happening where we live and where we work by engaging people who desperately need a relationship with Jesus. You know, like I just alluded to, usually after a sermon like this, I'm supposed to have this big plan. Four-step plan. Twelve-step plan. We're going to save our city. Plan what the church is to do. See, because some of you will receive this word, it will resonate in your spirit, and you'll be ready to do something. If you're like me, anytime God stirs my heart, it automatically connects with some activity because I'm a doer. And I feel like God's really not doing anything in my life if I'm not out doing something for him. Many times we hear the word of the Lord, we say, okay, God, yeah, I know this is your heart. I know this is what you want to do. So, so what should I be doing? What's the activity? What's the plan? What's our next move? And so as I was praying about this message, thinking about how we we're going to apply it, trying to come up with our 12-step big plan to reach our city, God kind of set me down and said, hold on, big boy. You're not ready. And God shared with me that, that at this point in time, what, what God really wants is only one thing. And he wants us to pray. Boy, I heard a big, big sigh of relief across this room. <sighs> oh, well, yeah, I can do that. Not so fast, grasshopper. Not so fast. Because when you pray about this, if my heart is truly beating with the heart of Jesus about lost people, I'm going to have to think about how is that going to affect the way I live my life. It can't go on with the status quo. If my heart bleeds like his, how will my day-to-day -day activities be affected? So I think we just need to let God massage our hearts for a few days with this word and not try to figure out something that we need to do. And here's why. Because, listen to me, it's not what we go out and just randomly do. Knock on doors, hand out tracks, stop traffic. I'm not criticizing any of that. If God tells you to do that, Go for it. But it's not about doing something. It's about what we are becoming. It's about where God is going to take us to be able to do what he wants us to do to reach our neighborhood, to reach our city, and to reach our world. We need to pray that God turns our heart inside I took off in Luke chapter 19, so let me try and land there. You know, there, there are only two places in the Bible where Jesus wept. And of course, everyone knows one was when he wept at the grave of Lazarus. And of course, he wasn't weeping because Lazarus was dead, because he was getting ready to raise him up from the dead. 
I believe Jesus was weeping over the unbelief of those people who were supposed to be believers. But then the only other place in the Bible where Jesus wept was in Luke chapter 19. And earlier I read you the verse in uh, verse 10 that said, For the Son of Man comes to seek and save that which is lost. And so in the context of reaching the lost, if we move on to verse 41, we see now as he drew near, Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close in on every side and level you and your children with you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon the other because you did not know the time of your visitation. Time is short. And the heart of Jesus broke over a city that did not know God. And I want us to understand and realize that Jesus did not cry over blind people. He did not cry over deaf people. He didn't cry over demon-possessed people. He didn't cry over suffering of other people. He didn't even cry over his own suffering. He didn't even cry over his own life. The only time the Scripture records Jesus is crying is over the lostness of humanity when he wept over the city of Jerusalem. Now, of course, Jesus was moved, moved with compassion towards all those other things. And many times he healed them all. But his heart broke over the fact that God had reached out to Jerusalem and they did not respond. And he wept. Today I beg God to make me bleed where his heart bleeds. To make my heart beat like his. And if his heart breaks over a city, I pray that my heart breaks over my city. Because after all, why are we here today? Aside the fact that our invitation was lost in the mail. Why are we here? I mean, of course, of course we feel like the purpose of the church is to provide a place of fellowship where Christians can share God's love with one another. Christian fellowship is certainly a part of why we are here. And it's a glorious part. There's nothing better than getting together with like-minded saints and praising the Lord. But I want you to know the main reason we're here is to introduce a lost and dying world to the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we come together. Bow your heads with me.